Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, fully curricular this time episode of Normandy FM. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? Uh, I'm okay. I am coming to y'all from my new place and realizing now that I've set up in the room that I have, I am right next to the streets of New York. So I don't really know that there's a good place for me to record in this new apartment. I guess it's going to be an ongoing experiment uh, as we continue through New Replicant. Oh. I'll be reporting from these streets. Mm-hmm. Damn, Ken belongs and, uh, to the streets. Mm-hmm. Also coming to you from the streets, yeah. it's the one and only Michael Hyam. Hey, Michael, Hyam what to do, baby? I'm doing, uh, well, no, I was going to say I'm doing all right, but I am, uh, I'm currently extremely busy, but I've always got time for y'all. You know what I'm saying? We always got time for each other here, especially to talk about Near Replicant. We are back to talking about Near after our brief sojourn into Baldur's Gate 3 for the spoiler cast last time. Uh, thanks again to everyone who has been tuning in and listening and dealing with us as we deal with all of our various reasons for why we have to do such a weird scattered uh, schedule of recordings for this. Uh, but we we are continuing Near. That is still happening. We promise <laughs> we will notify you <laughs> if it ever changes. Uh, but before we get into all of that, of course, we are Norm DFM, a retrospective podcast currently covering the near replicant and automata duology plus various external media that we'll probably address near the end of near automata because otherwise we'll just be in the weeds forever. <laughs> and, uh, we've covered many, many other series in the past, including mass effect dragon age you know something fascinating is that ken discovered uh where normandy comes from <laughs> I, to be clear to be clear i've always known where it came from okay uh-huh. Uh-huh. i just never had a weird like fixation period with world war ii like the rest of you yeah you're, you're not you're not a world war ii guy no yeah damn I'm, we're really excited for the next season which will cover band of brothers uh yes. it'll be great uh, support the troops by episode uh-huh uh-huh Important to support the troops yeah. here listen, on Norman DFM. Listen, you got you got to know about Major Winters, man. That's my boy. You do Winters and Nixon, man. That's that's a a whole different thing. We should yeah. get it. see. Every time I think about it, I'm like, but what if we did actually do a Band of Brothers season? But Eric, would... I must ask you: Did you read the manga? Oh, the manga. Hmm. Hmm. Actually, I read the book after. Is, actually, I was going to say yeah. I mean, you're talking about the book, right? The, yeah, book, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit was wild. See, they should make a manga out of that. That would be oh incredible. Oh my god, yo, that would be. Ah, uh, that needs to be. Well, no, actually, hmm, I'm gonna not say what I was gonna say. <laughs> I'm going to recant that from the document of public record. I think a uh, World War II manga would be. Uh, oh, okay. It would have okay, to be yeah, handled yeah. with us a, a certain level of scrutiny. And, Handled with care. Um, as I mean, look, war, war affects a lot of people. I, I don't think that's out of pocket to say. So anything involving war should probably be handled with a fair amount of uh, tact. As you know, experiment. I can totally talk experimentation on children, as we're about to talk about in this Whoa. episode of Near Replicant. Yeah, <laughs> we, we are a podcast that uh, apparently likes to deal with heavy topics all the time. And loves to wade into it with just, you know, the bullheadedness of Normandy FM. <laughs> Before we get to that, 
Uh, if you want to support us, you can always head over to patreon.com slash normdfm. Back us over there. Any amount gets you into the backer discord uh, and just helps pay our bills, cover our costs, that sort of thing. And also helps us with our upcoming trip to PAX East, which we are not yet confirming because we do not yet know whether we will have a panel there. We have submitted one. Those of you who remember our panel from last PAX East will likely be able to guess what our panel for this PAX East, what the submission was. Hell yeah. Um, possibly even better than last time, if I do say so myself. Uh, but uh, I can at least guarantee that I think all three of us will be there. Are we all planning on being there? Plan on, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But still things to arrange. Uh, various circumstances do make these kinds of things difficult for many of us, but mm -hmm. the plan is to be there. Hey, look, there there are so many rooms with floors that we can always find a spot for you. Oh, so. yay. Uh, but that being said, we've got those plans coming up. If you want to help us, support us, follow us, you can head to our socials as well, twitter.com slash show. And we don't have a blue sky yet, because I don't know if we're all convinced the blue sky is where everything's going after Twitter implodes, but we'll let you know if we ever create a new social media after the implosion of Twitter, which is really just a slow death at this point. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we have all kinds of different socials and stuff. You can follow me at cmoosey, Ken at ShepardCDR, and Michael, I am totally blanking on your Damn. at all of a sudden. On Twitter? On Twitter. At because Michael I'm thinking... I'm thinking of the one I can see right now on the other app, and I'm like, I don't think that's it. Oh, shit. Uh, no, at, at Michael P. Hyam on Twitter. What's uh, the other app you're talking about? I'm looking at Brazy Asian. Oh, yeah, you can find me <laughs> elsewhere. That's on Threads, I think. I think that's my Threads and Blue okay. Sky. Okay. Yeah, well, that's me. You can find us all still over on the threads? place. On Threads? No I, I registered, and then like I think I made one one post, and was like, all right, I'm out. They don't yeah. let you say bad words, or they they um they they say hold up. Do you really want to say that? I'm like hell point? yeah, I want to say that. Yeah, fuck out of here. Yeah, I'm mm. gonna say that. So mm. yeah, I made an account like many other sites. I just made an account to like sit my name and then just the real Eric Van back. Allen. Yeah, you know, instead of all these imposters <laughs> like Alex Van Aken or mm -hmm. Eddie Van Halen. We, we're actually the same person. You've never seen us in the same place at the same time. We actually have. Yeah. I've seen you both in the same place <laughs> multiple times. Michael, yes. why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with Nier and specifically why you wanted to come on for today's episode? Oh, sure. Um, I have... Nier Automata was my introduction to the series uh, back in 2017. And I was pretty surprised by how hard uh, I was hit by it. I think that was a that was a... That was a, a wild time because in 2017, I had just played Persona 5, which was my first Persona game. Then I played Yakuza 0 and I also played Nier Automata. So I was basically hit with top three, new top three games of all time type mm. shit. Um, <laughs> and it's really wild. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, over the years, I've talked with Yoko Taro multiple times for interviews. I did a, a short little Let's Play thing with him during GDC 2018. Um, like I have, and since then, uh, Nier Automata has been like, I've played it, replayed it multiple times. And it's one of those games where you revisit and you get something new out of it because you've just gone through so many things in your life that you have a fresh perspective on the sorts of stories and themes that that game tackles. 
Similar thing with Replicant. So uh, I went back and played the original release on PS3. I actually streamed it during the pandemic. And I was surprised by uh, by how strong its storytelling still was. And I think, you know, in retrospect, I think that was that was never a complaint of the game. Rather, it was in 2010, it was antiquated at the time with how the game actually plays, how it's structured and all that stuff. But when Replicant came around for the for the the remake, I guess you could say, um, you know, a lot of that stuff had been fine tuned, which, uh, you know, I didn't mind because like I can I can sit through mediocre gameplay if the reward is a strong story, and that's kind of what the original Nier was when I played it in 2020. So when I played uh, Replicant, I reviewed it on Gamespot, and it. It was one of those things where it hit me all over again with a fresh perspective coming off of the original release not too long before I got my hands on with Replicant. And I think now, I think Automata is the stronger game, but I think Replicant is the one that resonates with me personally a lot more. Um, I think there's just, there's a, like Automata is good at the, like the broad strokes philosophical things. And I think Replicant is feels like it's more on the ground level, the more personal stakes, I suppose. And I think that's driven a lot through Emil, Kaine, and the main character, who I guess we can call Nier. Um, they s- sort of form a bond uh, throughout that story and get into some things that are some, some real gray areas that not even they're aware of, but that just happen to the world and you see as the player. And so there's just a lot of tragic shit that happens in Replicant. And how you see them deal with it with imperfect knowledge is kind of one of the more powerful things. You know, you see characters that you care about and like, and you see them do things that are questionable. Uh, and you, they, they do things with uh, like the, based on emotions. And I think that it's represented very strongly in the situations that they're in, how they act on uh, the, those things. And a lot of the voice acting too, especially Kaine, like Laura Bailey as Kaine is incredible. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest performances, I think, in video games so there's just yeah near replicant like hurts like that shit hurts man um and i think yeah the particularly for this section because emil is probably i would say one of my favorite game characters ever um and like this particular section we're talking about is the turning point for emil when you start to really see him become a full character involved in everything that is happening in that world, and uh, there's a very powerful moment uh, that we'll that we'll talk about in this episode that I think is indicative of uh, some of my favorite things about Nier and about uh, Yogotaro's like storytelling in these games. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm coming from. It's it's a really interesting game, and, and I like that you brought up the difference between Automata and Replicant because. There is, I, I think about like the broader story of Automata and it's so much larger, it's so much grander in some ways, whereas Replicant is so focused on like what is happening with this party. It's like yeah. still, it, it's got this idea almost of a Final Fantasy-like party that you form up, especially over the first half of the game. And now we're kind of at the point where we are seeing this party go through. We are yes. seeing them uh, encounter real hardships and maybe even start to learn more about each other um, in, in ways that surprise each other. I think there's a moment at the, the very end of this. Uh, Ken, I think you have it slotted for next week, but I think we should just talk about it this week because it's a very good moment. I want to talk about it this <laughs> week. Um, 
but there's there's some really powerful stuff in the writing of this game, especially around its characters and the way they interact with each other that just really keeps resonating with me uh, over the years, even when, you know, Weight of the World and, and 2B are still, like, peak games for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're here now. We're in Replicant Episode 7. Uh, and I guess the, the easiest way to kind of pick it up from here... Uh, is that we have time skipped forward. Uh, Nier has aged. Ken, how do you feel about this? Nier has aged. He is aged, and yet nobody else has. And mm. I, I feel like this is going to turn me into the fucking Joker. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Because every time that somebody brings it up, they're, they, like, they have like a hand-wavy piece of dialogue about it, and I'm like, I don't know if this is, like, them... Like, I don't know if that's deliberate, or if it's just, you know, them excusing that they didn't model all these characters up a few years Damn. like they did near ken really said lazy devs i can't believe it starting this episode off i i didn't use that word that was that came that came into your mouth i, I said nothing of the sort i'm joking i'm joking ken has never never said that a day in his life ken is a respecter <laughs> honestly okay like jokes aside i'll say now like just at the beginning of this episode everything that happened here did not make me feel great about the pacing and like the uh i guess the necessity for the time skip in i feel like the fact that nobody other than near appears to have aged it's like a microcosm of the problems that i have with that the the things that were like interesting mysteries to me now like i'm starting to wonder if they're if i might just be reading in too much to certain things but this is the kind of game that makes me like one like second guess things that I could maybe more easily explain away because I don't know if that's something they're like riffing on. Uh, and yeah. So one thing I will say early, early on is we kind of get through some of these story beats that start us out towards uh, Emile's mansion is that I think the time skips important because it shows the world changing, but still deteriorating in some ways you see that like the shades are becoming not just like more, numerous but they're advancing they they obviously have armor and weapons and things like that they're starting to appropriate ideas of honestly like the things that are being used against them to kill them uh mm. you see shades that fight that look a lot more human i think that's really really interesting um like that was the first thing i remember when i was watching you play the section before this where we have the time skip and you see near jump in and start fighting all of a sudden you've got this shade that kind of does those little hops around and swings a weapon and stuff like that it's like oh this is like before they were kind of vaguely i don't know i'd compare them to like those those little heartless in kingdom hearts one mm -hmm. the one that sora gets turned into spoilers for kingdom hearts whoa dude <laughs> 22 year old game um we're not doing kingdom hearts for, for normandy <laughs> i'm just nipping that one in the bud right now um but uh they they look a little bit more monstrous beforehand, I would say, and now look kind of more human, like they are adapting. So I think the time skip is important for that to create that sort of divide and to also key the player into like this world is changing. And it is, I think, as we start to revisit areas, we will notice it changing for the good in some ways. We will notice how it... Um, how different places kind of advance and then also how other places kind of regress. And I think having time 
play a factor is important in some of the stories that we're going to see. It just doesn't feel like it now because we're we kind of put a bow on something that literally just happens, and so mm -hmm. it, it is going to feel a little bit strange in that regard. Um, and part of me almost wishes that this had been delayed, uh, or like mm -hmm. a, a piece of this had been delayed by just an arc or two that we were yeah. talking about this like two episodes from now and not like this episode but mm -hmm. some of the things that come up i do think having everybody where they are by the end of this episode is very important for that so i will say that pacing is different but i have been thinking about this recently because you know i've been playing a lot of older rpgs and you, you might be surprised to hear this that a lot of modern rpgs are actually a lot longer than older rpgs used to be for a variety Whoa, of reasons but like playing a game like chrono trigger and sitting down and i'm like wow i'm really surprised that it's taken me maybe like 12 hours to get to the meat of chrono trigger and even be staring down the end game of chrono trigger but like that is number one the way games were made at the time and i know that there are other examples from that time that are probably a lot lengthier but like chrono trigger stands out as and so does like um super mario rpg stands out as a shorter rpg experience but at the same time i'm still impressed by the ways in which they tell an evocative story without needing that much time to let things kind of boil and simmer and cook mm. and that sort of thing where they can have those moments really hit an impact and it does sometimes feel like you're just always running at like a high <laughs> like engine output but it, it does kind of work for me and i would say that replicant has maybe more dips than that there are definitely times in this game where you're just doing something that feels a bit menial menial or feels a bit um mechanical mm -hmm. but i do still feel like it's a faster paced game than most others and i think it works but I'm interested to hear kind of what your thoughts are yeah. on the, the the pacing so far. There, there are like specific events that we'll get to talk about near the end of this episode that I think were the most damning to me in terms of the pacing in this game. And in terms of like, like, like you said, like you don't necessarily need to sit on something for hours at a time for it to be impactful. But I definitely felt like there were two very specific instances of a major development happening in this game that happened in the span of like five minutes even that felt like a very underserved in significance of those moments for these characters. But we'll get to like the specifics of that in a bit. Michael, how do you kind of feel about the pacing of your replicant as a whole? Um, in the process of reviewing a game, I do like it when it starts to, to move along quite fast, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think I, I know what Ken is getting at, um, but I don't know. I think, I am I'm, I'm eager to address it when we come across it, but I, I think part of it is maybe me doing the work of filling the gaps of how does a character get from one mental state to another in such a short period of time. Um, and I think I just attribute that to just the, the way those characters think in that world and the way you need to like move on to the next thing in that specific world. But again, like I said, that's like kind of me filling in the blanks. Mm. So um, I don't know. Yeah, things do move along quite fast. I just, I guess I didn't really pay much mind to how those things progress, where they're, I imagine it's, it's something like you get presented with new knowledge and there's a big, there's kind of a big paradigm, sh paradigm shift in these characters' understanding of their world and who they are, and then are quick to be like, well, I 
guess I accept this now and uh, move on with my life. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe I would do the same if I was in that situation. Like, <laughs> oh, shit, well, shit's just different now. I got to move on. Um, but I, I, I think, I mean, it, it's been a long time since I have, like, sat down and played this game all the way through. But I think there's, it's not, I don't think that this this game in particular uh, like they revisit those things, they revisit those themes, and they come back to them uh, ever so often. So it never feels like they they close a door on a specific thing that happens to them. Rather, you later down the line they reflect on it, and it influences who they are and their decisions later down the line. Um, and I think that's one of those things you just I I wasn't able to fully process or reflect on until I saw the full picture. And that's how I feel a lot of, about a lot of RPGs where I might nitpick specific things that are happening in the immediate, in the immediacy of a story. Um, and then I give it a full evaluation once I reach the end. And oftentimes, or sometimes, you know, I'm like, oh, well, they really dropped the ball in this regard. Or, wow, they really came around strongly on that thing I was thinking about maybe 10, 20 hours ago. Um, I think Nier is one of those games where I think they do make good on a lot of the twists and turns that they introduce seemingly suddenly uh, throughout the game. Well, let's talk a little bit about what is actually happening. Sure. You know, you know several minutes into this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we receive, uh, after we talk to Pelpla and we kind of get the sort of catch-up situation of, like, what's kind of been going on, you know, shades are getting worse and all that sort of thing. We also get told that there's a letter here from Emil for Nier uh, and Vice uh Mill's been kind of quiet for a long time but now thinks that he has an idea of how to help Kine and wants near to go see him. Uh so we head out there, uh get to the mansion, the butler tells us that Emil is waiting for us. Inside we meet Emil who has not aged a single day. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. Wow. Wow, Ken. But you love he's that. special this way, he says. Uh-huh, he is he is special that way. Look, Emil is a very special boy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. Um so Emil shows us a document that reads following the recent incident with number six, we have decided to establish an archival room. This room will hold records on the methods used to control and or cancel all forms of magic, including petrification and bestial transformation, as well as allow other projects to move forward. Specifically, this should make it easier to, to complete a long uh, long term storage solution for number six, as well as proceed with our work on number seven. All employees are required to keep the courtyard entrance to this new room secure. Failure to do so is considered grounds for immediate termination. And there's a map that marks where this room is. The planning room. And we think that it will help Emil uh, harness and control all forms of magic. Uh, so here's just a fun thing that we already kind of noticed going into this, but is probably a lot more prevalent now. Uh, a lot more modern things showing up all of a sudden, right? Like mm. documents. Oh, yeah. I, I assume you've had loading screens at this point, Ken, that look very modern and, and look like notes or memos instead of uh, the sort of like journal entries that we were getting beforehand. Well, now that you mention it, I don't think I'd take a notice of that up to the point, but that sounds about right. She's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We start, uh, we head to the courtyard, uh, which as you remember, the courtyard in the mansion is really, really messed up. It's where all those petrified people are and you can uh, use context clues to understand a little bit more about why those people may be there. <laughs> uh, and on the way there, Emil says, uh, oh, this might you know, help me out, help him heal his condition that he's got. 
Uh, there's warnings and stuff. They're all worn away. And as we step in, Emil starts to be overcome with a headache. Uh, but as we head in, Weiss warns not to stray too far from Emil as something's clearly wrong. And we start moving through this warehouse. And this is where we go into sort of a... It's like an isometric view, I think, is is uh, is how I would describe it. It's like yeah. almost top down, but it, it almost looks like Diablo to me from what I remember of the section mm -hmm. where you're yeah. just kind of moving through this big area and picking up key cards and moving through here. Um, it's it's really wild, I think, that we go even within the section, we have the Resident Evil camera angles while we're inside the mansion and then we head into the warehouse and now we've got this isometric view like near really loves to play with camera perspectives and angles in such an interesting way um i i like it a lot but i'm curious ken as like a first time player how you feel about them i like the way that they try and make every section feel very distinct in that way because like it that fundamentally changes your relationship to like distance and angles in which you look at something while you're playing this action-oriented game which i think is novel in the moment like i guess depending on which moment you're in because as interested as I was in that concept when I first got down there, I found it actually, this particular perspective pretty frustrating in some of these fights because the, the camera would shift in a certain way that meant that I often didn't have a great look at the fight that I was in because just the way that the geometry was angled, like, or more like the fight ended up like behind geometry at the time. Um, so like I just kind of appreciate the I guess I appreciate the intent more than I do the execution, just because it kept interfering with the the specific fights that were going on down here. Damn, I really like the section. Uh, I think yeah, from a gameplay from the gameplay perspective, uh, particularly, um, I I think it 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 helps that these are really small and enclosed spaces, so. Uh, I feel like I am like the density of the combat scenario with the enemies. Like I just firing off spells and swinging away at the enemies. I think it's, uh, it's one of the more satisfying gameplay moments, I think. And for like, as Ken mentioned, it's, it's not elegant at, at all. Like this is, it's one of those things where this is very much a product of its time. And even at that time, people were like, yo, what the hell are you doing? Um, and I think it's, it's aged in a way where like, oh, that's kind of novel. That's kind of neat that they did that. Uh, it's maybe not the best uh, way to engage with this uh, particular like gameplay system. But uh, I personally uh, liked it a lot as you're like funneling through this, uh, this very uh, like these really tight spaces in these really hectic combat scenarios. So um, I from a gameplay perspective, I really enjoyed it. And I think that the things that you uncover in that process too are some of the wildest shit in this game mm. um so uh, i don't know if we want to move on to that stuff but yeah yeah I, this... I do want to touch on what ken said about like every single mm -hmm. section of near feeling very distinct yeah like that that is absolutely something that i get from this game every time i see it much more so automata honestly like automata definitely has moments where it switches up gameplay and and switches up what you're doing but there is something about replicant where it has these zones almost like these dungeons that you can see it as like i i frequently seen it as like them playing around with the idea of zelda but like what if the dungeons of zelda like didn't just force you to think about using a specific 
cool in a certain way, but like completely rethought how you were going to approach gameplay using the same set of tools in every situation. Mm -hmm. I find that really interesting about your replica because for the most part, we are doing most of the same things most of the time. Um, every once in a while, there are kind of area located mechanics that, that, that come up, you know, things like the, the dream forest and all that where hell yeah uh yeah oh we're, we're going back don't worry yes uh but uh for a lot of times you're still kind of just doing your general like action rpg thing but even just the camera angles i think designed to specifically invoke the uh the games that they're taking inspiration from whether they be resident evil or zelda or other things like that or in this case maybe it is intentionally trying to be like hey isometric dungeon crawler because even the layout of this warehouse feels so designed like a dungeon where you yeah, have these yeah. rooms that jut out from each other and i think it being designed like a dungeon is very interesting because of the truths that we start to uncover while we're down here because as we learn this is a research facility that is researching uh things that it, it's basically referring to them by numbers number six number seven stuff like that um, one specific note that I'm going to uh, read in full is we have completed the initial research into number six and are ready to initiate the startup experiment in the coming days, as this will likely mark a great leap forward in Gestalt research. The National Weapons Research Laboratory has made the completion of the number six project its top priority. Budgets for all other projects will be frozen effective immediately. Not only is that a lot of like really interesting and grabby like names that you haven't really dealt with so far but the things they imply are yeah. very interesting too right like yeah we're this... talking this is an internal memo for uh like laboratories and national weapons research and like infrastructure that does not seem possible in the current place that we are right now yeah i think this is I think this is the first moment in the game since the introduction when you actually confront the real world as we know it. Mm. Um, and this is like your, this is kind of supposed to open your eyes to uh, what was actually happening, what the Gestalt uh, and Replicant projects actually are. Um, and then you start to think back to the very, the, the intro of this game and then the pieces start to fall into place and you're like, yo, holy shit, this is like some wild shit that's happening in this world. Um, so I would I, say I, for, for some people though, it doesn't even click until much later. And, and obviously oh, we're really? not going to talk too much about it here because when it clicks is when it clicks. But um, the, the Gestalt stuff is like, they're starting to, trickle that throughout that word starts to come up more and more often the word replicant starts to come up more and more often yeah. and even just the documents and memos that we see like we are we are uncovering them we are uncovering a layer of this world right like it's almost interesting how uh when we when you go down when you go into areas that are underground or hidden away like i think of the the junk heap that is where you start to find relics of a different world you know yeah, the junk yeah, yeah. heap the junk heap up top is just this giant scrapyard right but then you go down the elevator you go into the mountain and suddenly you're finding all this technology robots things like that and now right, here yeah. in emile's mansion up top like you know it's the wesker mansion right <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah and, and that's already like kind of vaguely modern but you go down and you go into this warehouse and it's an industrial warehouse right and it's got all these memos 
like that. I always found that really interesting, the idea that this world that they live in is is literally built on top of the former world. Like there's there's a sense of not just place, but like one era being wiped away and built up on top of. That's really, really interesting to me. Uh, sorry, I cut you off a little bit, Michael. You really oh, no. Um, no, I think it was, it was just kind of going along with that where I really like it when fantasy games that are seemingly fantasy based start to reference real world like politics and just phenomena and you know how naming organizations and having these internal memos that you see typed up for like internally at your job or whatever it's uh then it starts to it starts to like merge those two things and i think that's the part that's the kind of stuff that i find most interesting about i don't know like near yeah sure but like any a lot of fantasy games that do uh, bring those kinds of uh, like have these big themes about, you know, there uh, our world existed at a certain point in time. Like Automata does that too, but it's not necessarily a, fan- a fantasy game as much as like a futuristic dystopian game. Um, but I do like that when you start to see, re- like you said, relics of our world uh, start to shine through. It provides like a a groundedness and a context to a lot of what you're experiencing in this game. Um, and that was this particular chapter or this the sequence of events was when I started to be like really invested in what was going to happen throughout the rest of this game. So, um, and yeah, and from a emotional expe- uh, perspective, the things you're learning in this underground facility are about Emil himself. And he's been a bit of a sideline character up to this point just because of his condition and the circumstances of this, of like the pre time skip uh, sequences in this game so as you're learning more about him like you start to just really feel bad for him and all the other children that were part of this experiment and at a certain point in this facility I think you run into like a makeshift playground that mm-hmm. is like made in the facility I'm like damn like damn this is like some like you really get the sense of they were housing children here in in a facility to be experimented on uh, so, like, seeing that stuff up front in the game without, like, the game necessarily up front acknowledging that is one of the more, like, I'm just taken aback by that. And mm. I think there's a, there's a lot of moments in near like, Automata and Replicant that do that. And this is, like, one of the more striking ones and memorable ones, I think. Yeah. As we, as we delve deeper into this mansion and kind of unlock all our mansion warehouse... And, and unlock all these doors key cards um fun fact as ken notes uh they're all blank a names uh would you you say you were auto filling with things like alcoholics anonymous <laughs> and things like that um i think it's supposed to be like the phonetic language in like japan so like ma ka sa ha yeah. are all like actual um letters that would be used um but which also you can mark that down. It's just another little interesting tidbit. Um, but we kind of fight this this boss a few times over. Cleaver hands. Uh, we see the playground. We keep pushing forward. Neil keeps having these pains that flare up, and um, we finally see the name uh, Halua. Uh, the donor body Halua has been chosen from among the seven candidate subjects to proceed to the next stage. 
In interest of protecting state secrets, all but one of the remaining subjects will be disposed of. The donor body, Emil, however, will be kept in storage as a fail-safe measure. So Emil starts to realize that, much like the other subjects that you've been reading about up to this point, Emil is one of them, and Emil is a weapon. Like, Emil is created in some way by the things that we are finding here below the mansion. Um, and and as he becomes distraught over this, Nier does, like, try to console him and say, like, hey, like, we're here with you. Like, we're here for you. Like, you've, you're part of the, the, the party, and even Vice... It's like, you're not the first one in this group <laughs> to have <laughs> issues, uh, which I do really love. Um, as we get to the final area, there's this large arena with uh, a creature uh, nailed to the wall. Hey, do you like Evangelion? Yo. <laughs> um, Emil looks up and it remembers that all these children were part of these experiments that, that the facility took uh, part in. Uh, they were all normal kids and brought here and experimented to create this perfect weapon. And uh, number six wound up being the perfect weapon. And they lost control of number six and needed a new weapon to basically control it, to petrify it. And that was Emil. So Emil is essentially number seven. Um, and Emil claims that number six is his sister. And when she comes, uh, when she wakes up and comes to life, Emil said he could cure the petrification if he had her power. Um, and so she descends down from the wall Emil asks us to promise to kill him should she somehow consume him and turn him into something else uh she absorbs him and we get into a whole boss fight in which Ken just shot spells the whole time just played bullet hell <laughs> yeah I mean it, it was the only thing you could use to hurt her and so I was uh -huh. like oh okay uh -huh. I'll just use the very simple thing that's worked out for me multiple times in this game you're still just using bullets right like yeah you have have you messed around with the other magic no I, I it occurred to me in the middle of the fight that I actually don't know how to do any of that shit um, <laughs> damn because <laughs> i just, well, I haven't needed it so it's like why bother to learn because oh, it's cool it's complimentary to i mean you could hack and slash the entire most of the game yeah um so the magic stuff is kind of complimentary i think I, I like the little spinny thing where you can summon the blades to spin around yeah. you to protect yourself like that shit's that shit's clutch um, i like the fists fists are fun yeah fists fists are great mm -hmm. um yo, but um <laughs> uh, <laughs> The yeah, spears are great too. Like a lot of the magic is like I think there is to some degree you can say like oh whatever works works, but also I think the magic doesn't just like give you an interesting way of playing a certain play style if you don't just want to be holding down the fire button the whole time, but uh, it can kind of combo in interesting ways with your expanded weapon set. Which I imagine you're still kind of bouncing around weapons. Have you like found a weapon that you're sticking to with this new. Uh, expanded toolkit can uh the spear has been kind of my go-to since the the time skip Spears. just you know give you that nice mid-range uh to the point where i haven't even gone back to the sword in this this entire um section yet um so that's pretty much been my default setting up to this point yeah i think in most fights i was using the spear at this point i would really only break out the two-hander for like really big shielded enemies or something but yeah, we, we beat the boss. Nier uh, breaks through the mask, and we see Emil and Halua in a, in a white void. And she asks Emil to wake up and reaches her hand out to him, um, saying that she'll always watch over Emil. Um, Emil says he feels his sister's power and can control his abilities. Then suddenly something gets weird, uh, says he can't see and not to look at him. And as the magic goes away, we see what's happened. And Emil has taken on a new form where 
those of you who know Yoko Taro's appearance in real life <laughs> might recognize said mask. Um, but he's basically got the body of a skeleton with that uh, smiling mask uh, in place of his head. Um, and he floats. And he can float now. And he has a little cape. He's the, I, I like I like him. Oh, I, I like his, I, I like. His. I think uh, of Emil as like Emil is like occupies the same brain space as like Poe for me. Oh, it's like <laughs> oh, you would you would dodge a bullet for Emil? I I would I would yo I'm I'm on record. I dodge a bullet for Poe. Dodge a bullet for Emil. You know what I'm saying? I'm out here. Um, just like precious boy who just wants to be friends, but he doesn't meow as loud as as Poe does. But I think they're both precious boys. Um, yeah, this is, this is like the, this was the moment for me in near replicant where I was, I, this is the moment I like first teared up and I was like, Oh, I am, I am invested in this now. Um, so I also like to take it back one step. The last time we see Emil in human form, that fool gets eaten by, the by the boss mm. figure of his sister and i was like yo this is wild to me and that's what what initiates the boss fight and then yeah like you said he comes out and he has this new form um and there's there's there are multiple things that i find very striking about this particular cutscene uh that says a lot about what near is about and what it's trying to say and i think um he comes out of this other form and he's just like just fucking crying, just sobbing. And I think this is like one of the best um, sequences where uh, the voice actor, uh, Julianne Taylor, is just on point. Like this is just like an incredible display. It reminds me of uh, like Ben Starr as Clive when he's like really emotional, crying and screaming. And Julianne Taylor like embodies this character who is just absolutely broken and i love a, i love when it, when voice actors have a good cry uh mm. it's mm. so convincing that this character is going through some shit and is just like shocked by what has happened to them um and there's a couple things that uh happen here that i think are very important is that when the character your main character near comes up to emile's new form doesn't say anything and just like hugs him and embraces him and like this shit it was like fucking got me because I think this is when Emil is like, I can't stand to be seen like this. I can't stand to like, have you see me like this. Um, and near just like embraces him, hugs him and says, welcome back. You've been through a lot. And I, I mean, and Emil starts like crying, like my body, my body, like what has happened to me? I, I don't want to be seen like this. Uh, but it's like this moment of acceptance, like no matter who you are, what you look like, um, it's it's what's inside that counts. And he's like, we're here for you no matter what. It's really powerful. And, you know, I feel like we all have very, we all struggle, we all have weird relationships with our physical bodies. Um, and I think that's just something that everyone struggles with. Uh, and it's hard to... Sometimes it's hard to put that into words. It's hard to express that to people because you never want to make yourself feel uncomfortable. You don't want to make the other person uh, feel uncomfortable, like you talking about your your struggles with your own body, right? Um, so this is like a powerful moment that kind of encapsulates, uh, like no matter what you like, what these characters look like, we embrace you for who you are. And this is like an ongoing theme too that circles back to Kaine in a in a very strong way as well. Um, so. 
I don't know, like Emil is like a precious character to me. And the fact that he embodies this specific personal struggle and is supported by the people around him, the only people he has around him is, yeah, I, I, I love this for that. And I think, I hope like people come away from this with a more empathetic look on how people struggle with the way that they look physically. Um, so yeah, I just really like that for like the sequence for that. It like hits really hard when he says that Emil looks really because like, yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I I mean that wholly unironically that like yeah. that at the right moment can mean so much to a person, and mm. it's 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 clearly phrased with such meaning that like Nier is not just saying like oh you look fine or something like you look really cool and like that's mm. I it it feels like such a moment of these characters do care about each other and are so genuine with each other that it I mean it does a video game's worth of bonding in about two lines of dialogue, <laughs> yeah. uh, which they already kind of did with Kaine and Emil uh, pre-time skip. And uh, I just really feel like this, this brings this crew together, like this moment of all of them suffer so much, right? Like all of them go through so much and will go through so much uh, through the rest of this game, but they are all kind of constantly there for each other and supporting each other through all of it. Um, mm. And I find, like, the general theme of, like, this whole world is collapsing. Like, Devola, or Popola, I think, at the beginning of this section was like, yeah, no, everything keeps going more to shit. <laughs> and it just keeps getting worse out there. But, like, through all of it, we have this this party that has banded together that is trying to simply keep themselves together and support each other, um, even in the face of these other things happening. Um, it, it It means a lot, I think. So, yeah. And then like, the, uh, I was say, last thing I'll say, like the whole thing about Emil not being able to look at people. Um, and then the, like the trade off of his new form is that now he can look people in the eye. And I think like, to me, it feels like Emil is seeing the world for what it is now. And like, uh, this is completely new for him. So like, even though he has this, quote unquote, like terrifying form that, or the, this form that he thinks is like terrifying to other people. Um, he gets to see everyone else. And I don't know. I, I, just, I, I think that's a, that's also like a valuable character development. Like not just, Oh, I feel bad for Emil who has to, uh, has this new body, but he gains something from that. And, um, I think this like starts to kick off like someone who was so isolated living in this fucking mansion his his whole life is now kind of free from that. Um, and I think that's part of him being able to accept this new paradigm for him is because now he has gained the ability to one help be a helpful member of the society, I guess, um, but also form human connections now, regardless of what he looks like. So. Um, yeah, I just, I really like this. Like it says so much in such a little amount of time for me. And I like that about this. Yeah. Ken, any thoughts here on Emil's new form? Uh, I, I agree with everything that y'all are saying. Cause I, I do think like the very, very expedited condensed arc that happens in the course of like four lines is like <laughs> yeah. really strong. And I like, I, that's the thing is like, I feel like I like the end result ice am kind of baffled at how quickly the game seems to introduce this new thing and move on from it as fast as it does. 
Which, I mean, y'all have said that, like, it'll come up in other ways, and I've even seen the ways it comes up in terms of how Emil relates to other people. I just found, like, the, the speed at which he came to terms with it really, like, whiplash-inducing. And part of that's probably also, like, Nier's not trying to be, like, a horror game that deals with, like, body horror for longer than it has to, I guess. Because, like, that was mm. sort of my initial, my, my initial reaction. Because, like, honestly, body horror as, like, a subgenre of horror is probably, I think, the th thing that gets the most visceral reaction out of me of basically any, any sort of uh, psychological conflict that fiction tends to introduce. Mm. And so to bring up this new thing for this character that is so transformative, like very literally transformative, and he's having, you know, like he's initially having this very uh, understandable reaction of like, don't look at me, don't look at this monstrosity that I've become, and like I can't even stand to be seen like this. Because um, that, that, that's like a lot to, for a, especially for a child like Emil to have to like suddenly deal with, and all that just gets introduced and kind of done away with in one scene. It's just like, it's a, it took me a minute to like kind of catch up to the game in that way in terms of like me getting to the point of acceptance for it. Uh, even though like, again, like I, I really liked a lot of those interactions that Nier and Emil were having because it did hit on all these like really touching, like very poignant points in all of this of Nier being like, you know, we we are here for you no matter what you look like, no matter what your form. And you actually look really cool right now. Um, well, she does. He actually, like the, the character design of Emil in this state pretty dope but this kid just learns so much about his life in the span of like 20 minutes of video game that <laughs> it's yeah. like oh they they introduced all that shit and then moved on very fast and it felt like that and i guess, I guess this comes back to what we were talking about earlier is like i feel like that is an overarching problem that i'm starting to starting to have with the game at this point is that like it has a lot of big ideas that it wants to talk about, but it talks about them in such an expedited way that I don't feel like I ever really get to sit with them for very long. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's a fair assessment. I wonder, I don't know if this has been like talked about or if like this question has ever come up in interviews with Yoko Taro, but maybe that's a product of the fact that he in that team was just, they were trying to make a shippable action game that would get published mm -hmm. and be like, you know, we're going to make this game, we're going to try and tell the best story we can, but at the end of the day, we have to ship an action game that moves on from one thing to another. So I wonder if, like, mm -hmm. the it's just, like, a product of its time in the sense that this is the yeah. kind of game that they had to make. Um, so th big moments like this, can't they can't, like, linger on those things uh, for too yeah. long. Um, I wonder if that's just, like, what happened, whether explicitly or not. Sure. Um, yeah. That's that might I, be a thing. I think we even like I think we had conversations about this at, on different seasons of this show as well. Is it like depending on I, I think more in like maybe the past like ten years or so, I think games have gotten comfortable sitting with moments longer. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think there has been, and you know, to, to some extent, probably still exists this sort of pressure that game developers might feel of like, oh, we cannot stop the player from being able to like do shit at all times for long periods of time mm -hmm. and it t tends to manifest in like you know okay a game might have like a really weighty moment that it wants to express in its story but then it ultimately ends up kind of getting like feeling like it was cut short comparatively to this huge boss fight that you had to do that takes up somehow like twice as long 
Mm-hmm. And that just seems to be like kind of a thing that different developers handle different ways. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to post two different things here. Number one, I do agree with the idea that like, you know, developers have been working around the idea of how do we keep the player engaged? And I think we see that in different ways. Like what I think of that's relevant to us, especially is cyberpunk, because I think one of my chief criticisms of cyberpunk storytelling is how often it like leaves you in control while story moments are happening. Like there's a fairly several fairly big moments that happen in Phantom Liberty in which you kind of just stand there and watch them play out around you. And, and Ken, this reference will be especially poignant for you. It reminds me of like sleep no more mm-hmm. in which like you are just kind of standing, watching this play unfurl around you. And like, you can move in that space. Uh, you don't really have agency in that, or you're not supposed to have agency in that space. You just kind of watch the stage play happen around you and maybe every now and then do like a dialogue choice. And I think that's a really frustrating thing to experience as a player, because then I feel like I'm the kid at the play that doesn't know any lines. And so he just has to make sure he's standing in the right spot (laughs) as all these other more important things are happening. And I kind of go like, okay, why didn't you just take the controller away from me? at this point um but to to segue this into my second point i think near does give you time to sit sit with things and it's because of the fact that there isn't really an expedited travel system or Mm, really like a super great fast there are like some levels of fast travel that exist in this game but they're not really like the kind that you would see in a modern video game where you just open the map screen and say like i want to go here and then it like zips you there um I think it's really interesting when games decide to make you walk, you know, where they, they say like, you are going to have to walk from this place to another place. We're not going to give you the option to do anything else, especially in today's game design world where fast travel is considered like a thing that video games that have open maps should have. Even games that are fairly closed off will still have some level of fast travel map zipping happening. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that, near replicant so often doesn't have that and then often uses that time to fill in with party banter to have characters talk to each other as you're moving across the land and even just lets you kind of sit with something lets you think about a thing that has happened i think at least for me when i play these games i that moment where i'm going from one place to the next i am kind of thinking about like okay what just happened what is going to happen next what do i need to do next like how does how does this kind of like, oh, there there were all these things that kind of happened back there. They're kind of just like lingering around in my mind. How do I feel about them? What do I think is going to happen next? Where, you know, what do I think about where we're going? Uh, and I kind of like the idea that there is this sort of open space for the player to just sit with their own thoughts for a bit. And I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I do like the idea that there is some degree of you are going to have to like just kind of... S- move across this land walk across this land and just have a lot of time to think almost like you're you're in a car ride back from a really weird uh coffee that you've had with a friend or something (laughs) where you're like you're kind of thinking you maybe like turn the music down a little bit and you're just kind of like thinking over the conversation as you're Mm -hmm. leaving or yeah 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 i'm a car thinker i don't know if you talk about car. i love i'm a car thinker for sure yeah i love that shit Um, i yeah yeah it also this might be weird sometimes i like don't put music on in the car and just kind of like 
<laughs> just oh, kind I don't of know like, about that. Cannot relate. Thoughts bounce around in my head for an entire drive. I did that recently, and you know what? It it helps me work through things. Sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Can, it also can sells the idea. Listen to me at the same time. Wait, what? No, you say? but I I can think and listen to music at the same time. But sometimes I'm just like so in my head about whatever I'm doing that I'm not even just like I don't even think to put on the music because you have to like plug in the phone and like go to Spotify and hit like play on the playlist or whatever instead I'm just like not even there I'm just like in a different zone entirely damn, damn in a different zone <laughs> I think like I think like the the fact that you have to traverse everyone it's not it's not the most interesting open world by any stretch of course um, but I think it sells the idea that these characters are also a traveling band and mm. I think this that is portrayed and like in story moments where, hey, we've been on this long journey with each other and like the world of near replicant isn't that big physically. Um, but by making you having to like trek across this land uh, manually, I guess, uh, I think that's one of those um, harmonious aspects of the way the game is built and what the characters are trying to portray or trying to uh, like the way these these characters are, are trying to be like portrayed in the story, so um, yeah, I think that that works and it that does work in its favor most of the time. I think so. I do want to say yeah. crucially, the game fast travels you back to the library between those two scenes. So uh, yeah, no, I'm talking I'm talking generally. I'm not talking like this specifically. I'm just talking about the game in general because like a lot of like weird snapshots I have in my brain of near replicant are like, I'm running across that big open plane to get to like a different hub area. There's almost like a, a high rule fields esque area. Mm. That's uh that kind of connects like the eerie and nears town and the forest and the junk heap all together. And like um, having to walk to facade is like, Oh shit. Well, we got to go run oh, through the yeah. desert again, <laughs> uh, which I think is interesting at least. Um, um but we do, we warp back to the library, as Ken noted. Uh, because now we get to save Kane. Yay. Uh, Emil uh, begins to, like, prepare the magic and all that and says, you know, realizes that he was probably mixing his latent memories of his sister, Halua, with, uh, with Kane and then restores her and brings her back. And then we do actually have to murder the beast that we locked down there this whole time but we really we messed up we, we beat the bejesus out of that thing <laughs> yo i was watching the cutscene back that that shit is wild you get like some of this big hand and you're like choking this phallic object i'm like yeah let's go <laughs> just like me for real <laughs> anyway uh, anyway we we, we turned to kind of <laughs> Um, and she hears Emil calling out for her and nearly mistakes the cries for her grandmother, but wakes up and looks at Emil, who kind of looks away in shame, but kind of recognizes him right away. Um, and then notices that Nier has grown and we tell her that it's been five years. She's like, damn, shit, it's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, she asks about Yona and there's been zero progress on that front, but we do have a lunar tear here for her. Um, we did, we did try, um, and then we get the little line. Our reunion was a happy one. We let it wash over us like rain. That is until Devola and Popola had to go and ruin it all. Now I'm just we, I do want to include this, this part real quick before we, we talk about the reunion scene, because I do want to talk oh, about the okay. reunion scene, but, uh, Oh, do we want to do reunion scene first? Then we'll talk about like I, the little footnote here. I mean, my little, just broad feelings are like it. 
obviously, like, in the format of this show, where I have not played beyond this, the fact that we had the time skip and resolved what we last left off on in the span of, like, 90 minutes <laughs> of the video game feels incredibly egregious to me. Like, I, like you know, the, the, the Emil thing was, like, a very, like, a microcosm of my problem with the pacing of this game. That oh, yeah. feels like... I, I that the game is gonna have to do a lot to justify everything that just happened for me at this point because that was baffling that there that, that all this setup happens and then we jump forward in five years and all the various aging and non-aging that, that entails and then within that short of a time we have resolved that issue and are basically picking up where we left off. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think it like? it uh lessens the weight or like it like kind sacrifice is doesn't feel as impactful because it gets resolved literally in the next the following chapter yeah that's it's definitely that and it's also like for all the stuff that we talked about like you know, okay the world has changed to some degree it, it doesn't really feel like it all that much um you know near the older yes there are more shadows or shades around um i, I said shadows because i've been playing another game right now hey, there's a lot more shades around <laughs> and i don't really see what the long-term impact of all of that time has been. And it, that's the thing is like, I feel like if I had, you know, been around to see more of the world and had seen the way that so much had changed in all that time, I think it would have felt, you know, more impactful to come back to kind of be like, Hey, let me catch you up to speed. And I'm like, girl, it is the same as when you left. I can't, I have nothing else to tell you about except that I grew a foot taller and <laughs> I got I a new like, voice I, actor. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I don't know like that. That entire, like, sequence of events, it feels very strange to me now. Yeah. 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 Um, and this game already has, like, a very strange relationship with time for me right now. So yeah. I just, yeah. that, that just felt, right. like, it, it, everything about it felt unearned to me. Damn. I, I think it's strange, but I, I do think there, as we start to do, what I will tell you now is kind of a revisit of a lot of locations from the first part of this game. Uh, I do think that having the time makes some of those stories interesting because you get to see how this world advances forward or doesn't and mm. that's kind of like a big part of this second half is like because i mean broadly speaking we have this world right this this land that people are trying to live in that is infested with shades and the shades are growing more numerous they're growing more powerful um they're becoming more dangerous we saw like right after the time skip like there's a shade murdering people inside Mir's town like that whereas previously like the gates and stuff held all of that off so uh i think that alone is like an indication that like things are getting tangibly worse in in some ways but also it it depends on where you go and and who it's getting worse for mm -hmm, yeah. and i think that becomes interesting the further in we get but also like i do think they they just play very loose with the time for other reasons and um i can't say that all of them are extremely like sensical right now or even will ever be super sensical mm -hmm. but um one one aspect i do like is this idea that like emil has been working for years to try and like like these these characters who after kind sacrifice like they lost the battle they lost yona they it lost took him Kine. five years to look into his basement well, I mean, yeah. First of all, that kid had to learn how to read. <laughs> Second of all, <laughs> um, but also like just the idea that 
it, it's the all is lost moment where these characters are like we have to become stronger if we want to survive if we want to like not just have a place in this world but defend it and i think that's really interesting because yes we don't see like their struggles but even just the implied fact that like near after that happened like near went and just spent five years killing shades to get stronger and like clearly gain proficiency with different weapons and the ability to kill shades when before he was just kind of this like boy with a sword and now he's like a man who is like hell bent on revenge and hunting down whoever took yona Meanwhile, Emil has basically like locked himself up in his in his mansion and has been like just pouring over all the books and everything, trying to make sense of his scattered memories so that he can fix this thing that he had to do to Kine. Like yeah. and and like the guilt that he probably feels over that. And so I think the five years maybe isn't tangibly interesting in that respect, but it is textually interesting because it does like inform these characters and where they're at now and how even if visually or not visually they've changed and now they have both visually changed, um, it still has like affected them in some way. Yeah. Uh, I think I think part of it also is again, this is like I said at the front of the show, uh this episode is like I do a lot of the mentally filling the gaps. And I'm just like, mm, my hometown hasn't changed that much in five years. Um, uh, also, five years doesn't feel like a long time to me anymore. I mean, it used to, mm -hmm. but now it doesn't. Uh, and and then I'm just like, okay, the, the, the game just happened to skip us right to the moment when Emil has that Eureka moment, sends the letter and says, we can figure this out. Um, so I'm just like, oh, cool. How convenient that Yoko Taro and company would shuffle us right to the moment where we actually need to engage with the game again. Um, but yeah, I, I do like understand that it does create some kind of like uncanny Valley uh, with how time works in that world. But I, I honestly still don't know how the fuck time works in that world too. Once you start to, once you start to actually like piece it all together, yeah, yeah no, we'll, I, I, we'll be having a long discussion near the end of this game yeah. specifically, but, um, like why yeah. did near why did near suddenly start aging? Why why is he five years older now when he's been the same age who's for a thousand say? something years? Who's to say? What's who's to say? Who's uh maybe he hmm, hmm. maybe maybe hmm. the people of that world are like free ren where you get to a certain oh. age and then you just stop looking different. It's like he got to the age yeah. where you stop looking different. <laughs> oh, it's the the Edward Cullen effect. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Surprise plot twist: Near is a vampire uh. or an elf. <laughs> I don't know. Or, or an elf, a, a vampire elf. He's Whoa, a starian. That's crazy. Yeah. Whoa. Um, anyways, I do want to close on this note uh, that we probably could have saved for next week, but I think is a really cool, interesting moment that I remember really hitting for me at the time. Um, so we had that little note that Devil and Popola had to go and ruin it all. Uh, Nier is shouting at Devil and Popola because Popola is telling us that people like in the town are scared of Emil and Kaine and are trying to run them out of the village. Um, and basically, Emil says he understands as long as Nier is still supportive of him, he can deal with it. And Kaine says she's used to this. Um, and so they apologize and leave. Um, as we kind of stand there with Vice, Nier says they never really thought about how Kaine always slept outside and always slept, like would stay outside the village when you went into the village and stuff like that. Mm, yeah. And Nier kind of stays up and just keeps like ruminating over this, like hate that he feels 
um and and this doubt but also like self-blame that he has like never really stopped to think about his friends circumstances up until this point i don't think this is when we get the scene of i think that's route b is when we get like the added bit of scene yes, onto this that I is like yep. not that's not like a story thing or anything there is just like an extra scene here with emil and kanye specifically that we'll talk about then yes but, um one of my favorite it's Oh, it it is like one of the best scenes in the replicant. Not even joking. Yeah, uh, maybe absolutely. maybe not that high, but like it is a really memorable moment. But um, even just near being like, I never really thought about my friend's situation before now, and you know, I was so just obsessed with Yona myself. Um, I think it's both a really interesting way to add some extra context to those characters. Yeah. Um, all of them, both in how near views the rest of his party and how he's like realized something about himself, but also, you know, Kanye and Emil and how they kind of deal with their own sense of self and um, courtesy for others, in spite of them hating them for reasons that are completely stupid that we'll get into. Yeah. Um, but like just a really interesting bit of writing that I think shows how as much as I like the first half of this game and I understand why it does all the things it does to set up, the second half of the game i think the second half of the game is where this game really starts showing its strength yeah. like showing like what it is here to do what it is here to talk about so i'm excited for this as we move forward uh, hell yeah I, I i don't think we've uh, i mean not that he's well vice has some moments in the in this particular section but grimar vice is that's that's my motherfucking boy that's my guy he hasn't aged that much Hmm, you ever think about that? Damn, mm. makes you think. Mm. Make yeah, you books make don't you f- age. Book books don't age. Make you fucking think, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, His pages are gonna be yellow now. Ah, uh, um, yeah, sure. Uh, are they already yellow? They might be. Probably. Uh, Michael, any last thoughts about the section? Emil, near replicant, whatever you want to say. Um, that's that's my boy, man. That that's my guy. It's a. Uh, the sequence is like is one of the like top memorable moments in a game for me, uh, so I was glad I was glad I'm able to talk about it because it, for for a long time I think it's one of those things that are um, that are hard to talk about for me. Uh, the same way I was talking to you about Chainsaw Man when we were in Kansas City, mm. where the moment I start talking about it, I'm like, "Fuck, I I can't talk about this right now" because just sorting through my thoughts brings up things that I tend to uh, suppress. And don't want to think about because I know that they're gonna, they're gonna like derail, derail me mentally. So uh, it is one of those uh, moments that I, that I cherish. And when I do, kind of open myself to think about it, to talk through it, to uh, examine why it does hit me in the way it does, uh, I do enjoy that uh, because it's a, it's a moment. It's a, it's a good moment of self reflection, um, and it's one of those moments that uh, I think a game can really make you feel. Uh, empathetic towards uh people who deal with similar things uh so yeah near rules man we have so much more of it to go to uh, well, I, was next point out, I was also gonna point yeah. out uh you got a lot more time to like recharge and you know think about this again before you're back actually for the second to last episode of the near season when we talk about ending e replicant which we're apparently Ooh. doing at the end for some reason Yes. But we have you down yes. for that episode too. So. Hell yeah, let's go, let's go. 
Yes. Oh, uh, Michael yes. will return later <laughs> this season to talk about ending E of Near Replicant, which will be taking place after we finish Near Automata. So we are doing oh, what the endings hell? A through D. Come on, Michael, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we're, okay. Yeah, we yeah, are doing know. endings A through D here. <laughs> And then we are doing Nier Automata, all endings. And then we are doing Replicant ending E uh, at the end, at the okay. very end. Yes. Um, and that is when Michael Hyam will return sometime this summer, <laughs> probably. Whoa, dude. Um, that's so far away at this point. Um, but with all that being said, uh, next episode will be the Stone Guardian and the Law of Robotics. Those will be your story missions. Also, I'm saying this here for any of you who are playing along at home. And for Kenneth, who will need to play these things, start looking into the side quests that you will need to do to get the weapons, the weapons. in the section of this game. Because this does still do, it's the last yeah. game, I believe, it does still do the, uh, you have to get all the weapons to see certain endings. Uh, and this stuff is missable, and you don't want to miss it, because that means you have to get it later or go through some pretty... Just... just you, you have, have to, to do things again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If you don't get it the yeah. first time, it's it's arduous. It's uh, arduous is the word I was. Like. Yeah, yes. it is. Yeah, um, um, there is a very good guide on Gamespot.com where uh, it um, optimizes your run so you can get all the weapons as soon as possible and uh, see all the endings without having to do uh, repeat content. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Also important to note that not this week but the next week uh, we will be addressing something that is, I believe replicant specific like like the remake specific which is the additional seaport stuff which was added for uh the replicant version that came out on ps4 i don't think all of the stuff for the missing ferryman was in the original near so if you oh. are playing the original near uh take note of that we'll probably also at some point talk about the book i don't think ken has had has found the book yet i think that might be the start the of one this floating section. around and being annoying i mean no the other book hey there's the there is another book, and we will need to complete the things in that book, and I'm really looking forward to Ken's take on what is in that book mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> when we get there. Uh, but there's a ton more to cover. Remember, as always, you can head to patreon.com slash normdfm to help us out and support us in all that we do. Uh, every week, we love to shout out the patrons who back us at the highest tier, and this week, this episode, <laughs> that list is... John Warren, Andrea Sheeran, Joshua Jarvis, Seth Pitts, Darius Pippins, Shane Erickson, Cypress Catwell, and Christoph Weiss. Thank you all so much for backing us and supporting us in all that we do. Of course, keep it tuned for the next episode. We don't have a guest. In fact, we won't have a guest for the next two episodes, but then we'll have a very special guest on to talk after those two. But for now, for Michael, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Normandy FM. Thank you.